love it. All right, so who here has seen the TV show The Chosen? Seen that before? All right. Well, there is a predecessor to that show, okay, that impacted me in a very spiritual way, just as deeply as The Chosen. I want to show you a clip from it really quick. Hey, cuz, heard you're having money problems. No, you didn't. Listen, I got the answer. You declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. Creed Bratton has never declared bankruptcy. When Creed Bratton gets in trouble, he transfers his debt to William Charles Schneider. How would that help, Creed? In Monopoly, you go bankrupt, you lose. You don't go by Monopoly, man. That game is nuts. Nobody just picks up get-out-of-jail-free cards. Those things cost thousands. That is a good point. Bankruptcy, Michael, is nature's do-over. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. Like the witness protection program. Exactly. Not at all. I've always wanted to be in the witness protection program. Fresh start. No debts, no baggage. I've already got my name picked out. Lord Rupert Everton. I'm a, uh, a shipping merchant who raises fancy dogs. That's the life. I declare bankruptcy! All right. So, I, that partially has something to do with something I will say today, okay? But I mostly just wanted to keep my office streak going and continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through Michael Scott. So, really, he should have been casted for Jesus' role in The Chosen. I believe that. Um, so, you know, the backdrop to this clip is this whole episode is about Michael in uh, financial, facing financial difficulty. And he has a gazillion credit cards and he's in all this debt. And so he gets it in his head. Here's my solution. I will just declare bankruptcy. And boom, everything will be solved. Everything will be easy. Everything will be fixed. But, you know, and we know that Michael doesn't have the authority to just declare bankruptcy. He doesn't, his words, I declare bankruptcy, don't mean anything because he doesn't have authority in that way. You know, it's actually a whole uh, legal process to declare bankruptcy and you go through courts and it's all actually overseen by the federal government and a federal judge grants you bankruptcy or not. So this judge does have authority to declare bankruptcy, but Michael didn't have authority to declare bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. So what I want to do now is read about a guy who did have a ton of authority, whose words did matter, and whose words did carry weight and impacted things and could change situations. So you guys stand with me as we read today's passage. And, and let's notice the authority of Jesus as we read this. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. You guys can just follow along. But we're standing to kind of shake ourselves out of the um, commonness and the, the way that scripture can just become like another normal thing we hear. But no, like we're standing up to be active and to remember, hey, this is special. This is amazing. A, I'm glad I can read. You know, so much the world can't even read. B, I'm glad I have a Bible. You know, like remind ourselves the power of scripture by standing. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat 
But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Then he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus stepped into a boat. So the idea here is like these, in, our, in this story, our, the idea is that these are happening in succession. These stories are just continuously, like, it's not a breakup of a year or something. It's the next day or the next moment. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? Obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to man. Father, I thank you so much for your word and that we have the ability to see these stories and know you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for making this alive and real to us and not just a historical record, but a historical record that you inspired, that you are partnering with to spur us on. We receive hope, we receive vision, and we receive um, direction, Lord, from this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all can sit down. <clears throat> so, this morning is part two of a two-part message that I started last week called A Day in the Life of the Lord of All Creation. And, you know, last week, the focus was kind of more so a day in the life. And what I was going after was like, um, let's look at this passage with an imitation lens. Let's, let's look at this, this whole story as if we were reading it and observing it for the sake of knowing how we should live now that we're no longer Romans, we're Christians. You know, like now that I'm no longer, my core identity isn't an American, my core identity isn't a Cochran, my core identity isn't uh, a Coranian, you know. My core identity is that I am a follower of Jesus. So if that's my core identity, that's who I am, then it's pretty sweet that I have a Bible full of stories about what I want to be like. 
and I can read that with this um, mentality of, I want to copy this dude. I want to live like how he would live if he were in my shoes. And so specifically, we saw that in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus' invitation to take his yoke was actually an invitation to imitation. It was an invitation to imitation. Basically, that, that verse says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And when Jesus said yoke, he wasn't talking about some farming thing. Actually, yoke was actually, a, he, he was, but it was an idiom. It was a metaphor. It was an ancient, catchy way of saying, come and model your entire way of viewing and doing life after me. So a yoke was a common expression. And a com it was an idiom, a common saying that rabbis and teachers in Jesus' time would use to describe the way that they read Scripture the way they interpreted scripture, and hopefully the way that they lived scripture. So when Jesus is saying, if you're feeling really weary and heavy laden, come to me and take my yoke, he's not just saying like, come to me and just be like, God, I need your help, da 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 blah, 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 blah. That's good. You should do that. That is kind of foundational and um, very important that we would come and bear our heart to the Lord and confess where we need help and all that. But the take my yoke upon you is an invitation to imitation. It's saying, live the way I live. I take a weekly Sabbath. Once a week, Jesus stopped working and he rested. He didn't, his priority wasn't to, to um, advance his work. It was to recharge and recalibrate. So we, as followers of Jesus, we think, oh, okay, this is probably a rhythm we should follow. We should take a weekly day where we're not trying to advance and, and conquer, but we're mostly just resting and delighting in God. There's all kinds of different examples in the life of Jesus. And last week I, I listed 10, okay? So here are the 10 things I noticed last week that were like our imitation points from the life of Jesus. These won't be on the screen, but... Uh, number one, Jesus knew how to sleep. Brother could sleep in a storm, okay? Like that means he knew how to sleep. Jesus confronted his disciples. Jesus asked his disciples a question. Jesus left when he was asked to. They pleaded with him to leave and he left. He did ministry in his home, in his hometown, and his, in his own home. That's where the paralyzed guy was healed, was in his house in Capernaum. He ministered with compassion. He asked the teachers of the law a question. He confronted the teachers of the law. He cared about all parts of the paralyzed man, and he was okay not getting the glory. So when we're reading the Gospels with an imitation lens, here's my definition of that, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to drive home that I talked about last week. Reading the Gospels with an imitation lens means this. In light of what Jesus did and said in the passage, I ask this question. How should I think and behave and talk? I'm going to read a story about Jesus. I'm going to pay attention. Oh, he confronted his disciples when they were super afraid. But then he asked them a question. So he kind of like invited them into a conversation. So that means the people I'm discipling, when they do something stupid, I'm not supposed to just ignore it because I don't like confronting people. I don't like having hard conversations. I'm supposed to say, hey, man, I don't think that was right when I saw you give the finger to someone the other day when you didn't know I was watching you driving, you know? Why'd you do that? <laughs> or whatever. I'm just making up an example, obviously. But we're reading the gospel with a imitation lens. 
Jesus is my rabbi. I want to live like him. So when I read the Gospels, I'm not just going to get theology from it. I'm going to get actual practice. How can I imitate and live like how Jesus lived? So basically, we're reading Scripture with a question in mind. <clears throat> if Jesus were in my shoes, in my circumstances, what would he do? Basically, how can I copy Jesus? So last thing on this, you know, Jesus was, it seemed like he would be focused and he would be motoring somewhere, going to something really important, and all of a sudden someone else would get his attention and he would stop and give that person his attention. He had the ability to be present with the thing he needed to be present with. And so if someone, he, he felt like he needed to be present with them, it didn't matter how important the thing he was going to do, he would stop and be present with that person. You know, we're leaving the house. I have three little kids. One of them is about to be six next week. That's just crazy. And then a three-year-old and a one-year-old who are both on their way to being two and four. And you know, like the worst thing, the bane of my and my wife's existence is trying to leave the house. And then you want to make it just extra hellish, try and go somewhere on time. And it's just like, all right, you put your shoes on. You stop picking your nose. You wipe your butt. Like, ah, like, how do we get somewhere, you know? Um, and anyone who has more than three kids is just like laughing at me. But anyone who doesn't have any kids, this is hard, okay? <clears throat> and you know what comes out of me when I'm trying to get somewhere and I'm like really focused. I want to do something on time. I want to, I want to get to the staff meeting on time. I want to go pray. I want to go worship God. Silas, stop doing that. Like, wow, you know, that's really Christ-like behavior of me. I'm, I'm, you know, well, man, last week, my wife and I were hustling to go to have dinner with some friends on Monday night. And we both were losing our patience with the kids a bunch. And we just kind of like debriefed that on the way there. And the thing that we kind of came out of the conversation was, we care more about our kids' hearts than being on time places. And so we gave each other permission that for now on, when we're in a hurry and we're going somewhere, we can just say, hey, remember, you care more about Silas's heart than you do about being on time to the birthday party. And we kind of gave each other permission to do that. But that's something that we get out of the Gospels. Jesus wasn't in a hurry so much so that he ignored other people's needs and pain and, and he could see priorities and he was interruptible and he was able to be present. Does that make sense? That's like the end, like, I really feel like that's kind of the word of the hour to our church is that we would read the gospels with an imitation lens. Far be it from us to not imitate Jesus at whatever cost. No matter what piece of cultural thing that I do and I love that, that doesn't line up with the life of Jesus, like we got to jettison it. We got to get rid of it. Our job is to be conformed to the image of Christ, no matter the cost no matter how countercultural it is. So this week, however, I want to tell you six um, observations I had about the passage that are more supernatural observations about Jesus. Because the honest truth is, all ten things I just listed, Jesus sleeping well, Jesus asking questions, da, 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 all those things, you do not need the Holy Spirit to do those things. Anyone, like you can go get a self-help book from Target and it will tell you to be present, all right? And it will tell you, and now don't hear what I'm not saying. We got the Holy Spirit. So there's no one that has 
more potential to be patient and have good sleep at night than us, all right, believers. Like, I'm not saying that you can live a lifestyle like Jesus without the Holy Spirit, but you can just through sheer willpower do some of the things I pointed out last week. And that's not my point. I'm not like trying to get us to willpower. We need to do it out of the Spirit's power and out of reliance on Jesus. Sometimes we do just have to decide to do the right thing out of willpower though. But my point is this. I have seven other observations from the passage that you could never in a million years do in willpower. They, you have to do it through supernatural power, through a power outside of you empowering you to do this thing. So before I list those, I just want to remind us that um, this is just as much a part of imitation as everything I was just talking about, okay? For the last several years, what we've been going after as a church is how do we imitate the supernatural works of Jesus? How do we be a church who knows how to heal the sick? Let's come on, let's raise the dead. I was about to say that one next, but let's raise the dead, you know. Let's prophesy, let's cast out demons. We've been investing a lot of time and energy, wouldn't you agree, in those things? And it's, it's right for us too, because we're the vineyard. This is our heritage. We're supposed to grab a hold of this thing and um, carry it forward. And it's not even, so like uh, really quick, low key, I just wanna say good job, church. All right, you guys have showed up to classes. You have taken nine month classes. Like who does that, you know, to learn how to be more effective in ministering to the sick. You've come to extra services. You've paid money to go to conferences and it is born fruit. I think this is an area that our church, I'm not saying we've arrived, but this is definitely a place that our church has a lot of maturity, is learning how to minister in cooperation with the power of God to people. This is a positive thing and um, I just want to pause and, and recognize and celebrate that, that we have done well at that. Don't settle. Don't feel like we've got to be in the shade or we're the best or anything like that. But job well done, okay? Yes. And that was, a, that was a little bit off topic. What I was driving at was that this isn't special, though, to our church to imitate the supernatural works of Jesus. This isn't something that just Vineyard Northwest is called to or, or charismatics are called to. This is something that all followers of Jesus, all people who say Jesus is my Lord and I'm his disciple, this is the calling to all of us is to imitate the supernatural works of Jesus. In John 14, 12, Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. They will do the works I have been doing. It's just impossible to interpret that phrase, the works, as anything but healing the sick and casting out demons. That is what the works of Jesus were in the Gospels, in context. He is not starting hospitals. He is not starting food pantries. He is not starting schools. Like, all really good things. I mean, we just celebrated Joni starting a food pantry and bringing societal transformation in the kingdom of God to people and to the poor. Like, really good, really value that. Don't hear me saying that's less powerful or good or whatever. But in context, when Jesus says we do the same works, he's talking about healing the sick, casting out demons, cleansing lepers, raising the dead, partnering with the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom of God. Yes. Furthermore, in Acts 1.8, he says this, 
to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power. So if you were a first century Jew, if you were a follower of Jesus, and you heard Jesus say this, you'll receive power. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus levitates off into heaven. And then days later, the Holy Spirit comes rushing out of heaven onto you and onto all your friends. What you're going to do is you're going to associate this with with the Old Testament story of Elijah and Elisha. You know, Elijah, he's discipling this guy named Elisha. And then Elijah gets taken up into heaven. While he's being taken into heaven, what falls out of heaven? His mantle, his cloak. Elisha goes and picks it up and says, where's the God of Elijah? Whack. And his first miracle is incredible. And then he goes on to do double the miracles that Elijah did. Same and greater works. This is a pattern we're seeing in scripture. This was God's plan all along that one Jedi master would train another Jedi master who would train another Jedi master and they would continue to um, do the works, the supernatural works of Jesus that would be passed down. Lastly, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do 50% of what I commanded you to do. And teaching them to do some of the things I commanded you to do. Teaching them to do the things that make sense in 21st century modern enlightened United States of America. No, teaching them to do the things that are comfortable to do. Teaching them to do the things that you're used to doing and that other pastors do. No, teaching them to do all the things I commanded to you to do. The reason that we're here praying for the sick, prophesying, casting out demons, ministering the presence of God is because one disciple trained another disciple, trained another disciple, and then 2,000 years went by and it got here and it landed with us. We are the New Testament church. We are disciples of Jesus. The reason we know how to do the stuff is because Jesus did the stuff, trained other people to do the stuff, and then they trained other people to do the stuff, who trained other people to do the stuff, and then you go, bum, 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 and all of a sudden you get down to us. Our job isn't just to do the stuff, but to train others to do the same stuff that Jesus did. So with all that in mind, let's look at the stuff Jesus did in this story, the supernatural stuff Jesus did that we're supposed to imitate, that we're supposed to do too. Number one, he commanded the storm to stop and it did. (coughs) Number two, he wasn't intimidated by deadly storms or violent demons. You know, like the idea here is, or I had it flipped there. He wasn't intimidated by demons or deadly storms. Number three, Jesus can control crazy, powerful demons with a single word. Number four. Did I just say number four? I meant number three. Number four. Jesus flowed in the gift of discernment. You know, when Jesus is doing the supernatural, he's just doing Jesus stuff, okay? But how Paul later on goes on to categorize it is he makes a list of these different gifts so that we can be equipped to recognize how to partner with the Holy Spirit to um, bring the kingdom of God. And when Jesus saw their faith, that was the gift of discernment. And then when he forgave the man's sins, what did the man come to get prayer for? 
his paralyzation, obviously, but Jesus discerned that there was a spiritual root. It was connected to sin. And so through the gift of discernment, Jesus knew how to minister them. Um, Jesus forgave sins without making a sacrifice at the temple and before he died on the cross. You notice that? That like the, the way you get your sins forgiven is by going to the temple. And then finally on the day of atonement, all sins would be wiped out on a yearly basis. And also like we think forgiveness comes from the cross, right? But here's Jesus showing up and guess what? He has not died on the cross yet and he's able to forgive sins. Okay, I'm not saying that we can forgive sins in the way that Jesus died on the cross, but we're commanded to proclaim to people the forgiveness of sins. And that word forgiveness means release, go away. So you're supposed to tell someone, hey, after you leave them to the Lord, your sins have been forgiven. Be released from the burden and weight of sin on your life. That's our job. We're supposed to proclaim that. Jesus flowed in the gift of word and knowledge. He knew the teacher's thoughts. He said, why do you think evil in your hearts? And then Jesus flowed in the gift of working of miracles. A paralyzed man who had bones as developed as, you know, like my one-year-old daughter. Like his bone, his muscles are atrophied. He didn't just like all of a sudden get his back ache gone, like healed. He, this is crazy. His muscles regrow in an instant and he's able to stand up, pick up his mat and walk. This is a miracle. So what we need is to take on, well, here, let me gather my thoughts actually for a second. So an imitation lens is really important because we see Jesus do this and then we know that we keep going or we know an example before us of how to do this stuff. You know, we see Jesus forgiving sins and, and healing the sick. And we go, okay, so I'm supposed to proclaim to people their sins are forgiven. Or we see that Jesus isn't intimidated by a demon. I, can, I don't need to be scared of a demon, demonized person and I can tell the spirit to go. But the truth is we will all experience both what Jesus experienced and something Jesus didn't experience. I've prayed for a man with a, brain, a terminal brain tumor in this room and the next week he died. I remember earlier in house group, Jen and I spent five hours with someone praying who was demonized. All this crazy stuff was happening and they left our house just as demonized as they came into our house. Um, my wife, our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. We heard the heartbeat, or no, we, we went in to hear the heartbeat. There was no heartbeat. We prayed for a month straight for the baby to come back to life, for a heartbeat to start. And that month ended with a miscarriage. Painful thing that lots of people in this room have been through. Just an imitation lens won't sustain us in the ministry of Jesus, okay? Just reading the Bible and saying, I'm gonna do the things Jesus did isn't gonna be enough to keep you going when you experience the agony of defeat. When you experience discouragement, when you experience loved ones dying, when you haven't seen someone healed in months or weeks or whatever, just saying, just keep imitating Jesus. That's not the answer. The answer is relationship with Jesus. Relationship is the thing that will keep us going. Jesus is dying on the cross and he's being mocked by the Romans. They're saying, come on, King of the Jews, come on down, come on down off the cross. The Pharisees are saying, he saved other people, why can't he save himself? Come on, why don't you save yourself, Jesus? And then the other criminal on the cross says, and Jesus doesn't give them any answers, right? 
But then the other criminal on the cross says, Jesus, can I be with you in paradise today? And what's he say? Yes. Jesus won't answer all of our questions, but he will always say yes to relationship. We're not always going to be able to figure out why it happened and what went on. But anytime we ask Jesus for relationship, anytime we come and say, come near, Lord, I need your help, he will say yes. We won't get all the answers, but we'll always get relationship. So what I'm trying to say is this, the chief thing we need is relationship with Jesus. And then I propose to you, we also really need imitation. That's super important for our spiritual growth. But if we neglect theology and having a theological lens as we read scripture, we'll miss answers that he does want to give us. He gave us a mind for a reason. He wants us to be able to understand a lot of stuff. He wants us to think right and have his worldview. And it's through, a the, it's through reading scripture with a theological lens that we will get the worldview of Jesus. We'll get the thoughts of Jesus. We'll get the paradigms of Jesus. So here's my definition for a theological lens, okay? In light of what happened in the passage, we ask this question. What should I believe and know about Jesus, about God, and about the world we live in? What should I know what, what should I believe and know about him? Not just what should I do, but this kind of precedes even doing sometimes. Sometimes you can just do. Sometimes you need to follow the theological lens route and say, what am I supposed to learn from this passage? What am I supposed to know now? What are the beliefs that are supposed to change? So basically, theological lens is reading scripture with the question in mind, what does this passage teach me about who Jesus is? How does it shape my beliefs about who Jesus is? and therefore God and the world we live in as well? How does it shape my beliefs about humanity, both sinful humanity and redeemed humanity? These are the type of questions that are theological questions that we're asking as we read scripture. So let me drive this all home, bring it all together now. There is one verse in this passage that stands out from pretty much all verses in the entire New Testament. And it's one of the clearest examples of what's called inaugurated eschatology. Don't even worry that you don't care what that is, okay? Look at verse 29 with me. Chapter 8, verse 29. Here's what the demons say back to Jesus. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Everyone say, before the appointed time. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I'm speaking those things that are not as if they are right now. Before the appointed time. So this phrase really actually unlocks like this whole passage for us. If we can understand what is meant, what the demons are meaning and insinuating by saying this, it opens up so much of scripture to us. And that might kind of sound funny. If you can just understand what the demons say, you'll understand scripture better. But it's true, okay, in this instance. A lot of what Jesus said actually sounded consistent with this line of thinking, that there's an appointed time coming. What they're saying, they're referencing this expectation that all of history would end in one final dramatic moment, that there would be one final moment of judgment and this present evil age would cease to exist and a new kingdom age would begin. Let's put the first chart up there. So this is kind of the Jewish understanding of time at this, at this point. Creation has happened, and then pretty soon after the fall, red means bad, we're in this evil age 
where Satan and his minions are exerting influence and control and they're leavening society and there's satanic, you know, I don't mean that in some type of witchcraft way, but just like in a literal way, like there's satanic culture spreading across the earth. But they expected that all in one fell swoop, in one moment, everything would change. Listen to what, they, what, what it said in Isaiah 65, written years and years and years before Jesus. God says this, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered. I will, there, never again will there be in, in Jerusalem an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. And you know all those other promises about a li the lion laying down with the lamb and abundance and prosperity. This is all this prophetic um, declarations. The Jews think, okay, there's gonna come a time where in one decisive moment, this X is gonna happen. The day of judgment's gonna happen and everything will change. A new world will begin and this present evil age will end. And it'll just happen clean, one, two, three, just like that. And that's what the demons are referencing. They're saying, hey, it's not that time yet, is it? It's not, time, it's not judgment day yet where, where everything's supposed to end and where our influence is done. I don't know how they knew that, but they knew that that wasn't, they didn't, they didn't expect that to happen yet. But other things Jesus said weren't consistent with this way of thinking. He, he, Jesus did talk about the future kingdom of God coming, but then listen to these other examples of Jesus talking about the kingdom and how this new age would, this new age would begin. Jesus says in John Mark, or in, in Mark 1, 14 through 15, now after, this is what Mark 1, 14 to 15 says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this whole idea of time being fulfilled and the kingdom being within reach, it's coming immediately. But then listen to this even more explicit statement in Matthew 12, 28. Listen to what Jesus says. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. So how are we supposed to make sense of this? It, it makes this interpretation of time feel pretty suspect, right? Like, if Jesus said the kingdom has come, and yet we all know that we're clearly still living in this present evil age, then what's going on? That's like the question we should be asking. Well, here's the answer. This is a better picture of how time works, according to the New Testament. We have creation, we have this age, and then we have Jesus coming and interrupting this age with the kingdom of God. And so it isn't this, the, the, the kind of linear expectation that the Jews had that falls into our thinking a lot too, that someday everything will change. Jesus changed everything 2,000 years ago. And now the kingdom is available to us to break in at any moment. This is what we're supposed to contend for is that this kingdom age would break in now. So where it says Jesus, that's Jesus' life, death, resurrection, um, the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came to believers. And now we're living in that space between Jesus and the return of Jesus, where the kingdom has come through Jesus and through us being filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You're a new creation, right? You've become a new person, and yet you still live in this old body, and you have sinful thought patterns and behaviors and stuff. 
That's because we live in this in-between space between Jesus's first coming and the return of Jesus. Does that make sense? So I wanna take some time for us to pray for the kingdom of God to break into this room right now and for this thing to happen where we're living in this red, space, this red line, all of a sudden, boom, green space drops in and the kingdom breaks in. On Friday, I was at Chick-fil-A and I had one of these moments. I was walking into the bathroom and I was carrying my one-year-old daughter and I, was, I walked by a worker who was sitting there on her phone and she looked like a really sweet person, but unfortunately she was looking at some trash on TikTok. And I could just tell like, this is not gonna give you hope in a good day in life. You know, like you do not need that with your morning cup of coffee, what I saw on her TikTok. So I walked in and I just felt kind of like God's compassion for her. And I was asking God, what would you wanna say to her? You know, this is the message she's receiving right now, but what would you wanna say to her? And I felt like God spoke something to me. So I walked back and it was, I wish I could take the time to explain to you how he spoke to me. It wasn't in an audible voice. It wasn't this booming loud thing. It was what I have just learned about how he speaks to me. I learned to pick up on the whisper, the intersecting thought that busted into my mind. That's how I heard his voice. And I come out and I'm about to do my normal thing of just saying like, hey, I felt like God said something to me about you. Can I share it with you? That's just kind of like my normal little shtick. Um, but I felt like, no, I'm gonna go new age on this girl. I noticed her tattoos and she was younger. And I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna spin this all more new agey. And so I was like, hey, I walked by, excuse me. Hey, I walked by you a minute ago and I just felt something when I walked by you. And I was wondering if I could give you a spiritual reading really quick. And she was like, oh, are you serious? It was like she won the lottery is her, was her reaction. She was like, I can't believe it. I'm, getting a, I'm about to get a spiritual reading right now. This is so exciting. That's what I was reading from her by her reaction. Because you know that Gen Z is incredibly open spiritually. They are not into religion. And unfortunately, they're not really into the church. But they are so open spiritually. And, and she said, yes, please tell me. And I was like, okay. I felt, this is what I felt you feel more broken than you really are. I feel, you feel like you have more cracks than you really have. And she just like gasped, oh my gosh, oh, just reacted. Starts, her, her, her eyes filled with tears. And she said, this is my last day at Chick-fil-A. This is my last day working here because of mental health problems I'm suffering from. And so I just proceeded and said, well, man, can I, thanks for telling me that. Can I release peace over you? Can I pray for you? And she said, sure. I said, hey, I actually am a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said that anyone who remained loyal to him would get his spirit. And so I have the spirit of my teacher, Jesus, living inside of me. And he loves you. And he told me this about you just because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you and he wants to give you peace. She was like, okay, yeah, thank you. Please pray for me. So I laid my hand on her and I prayed for her. And then as I walked away, I was just like, Google Jesus. And that just kind of came out, all right? Probably not the best line there, but I felt like it was more of a sowing a seed, planting a seed moment than like a trying to reap or like, all right, now say the sinner's prayer, ma'am. But in that moment, this future age broke into this evil age. And this person who's being oppressed and living only in this evil age, she's only probably been born of Adam, God's having experience with the kingdom of God and with the power of the eternal life that Jesus offers. So I wanna, I wanna 
share with you guys words of knowledge we had this morning um, for the service. And let's see if the kingdom doesn't break in some more right now, okay? So prayer teams, would you come down front? And I need some extra prayers this morning. Actually, no, we're not gonna do prayer teams. Go back to your seat, Nico and Chrissy. Thanks, Mary. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna list off the words of knowledge, just a little piece of information we felt like we heard that God wants to minister to this morning. He wants to, he wants to bless you. That's a fan, minister's a fancy way for saying he wants to touch you, okay? Jesus does. He wants to help you. Um, I'm gonna list them. And as I read them off, if one of them applies to you, just stand up. And then someone will come to you and pray for you. I'll, I'll organize that, okay? So as I read these words of knowledge, if one of them is something that you would like prayer for or that touches you, just stand up and someone will come and pray for you. Sound good? Here we go. And you don't have to stand up immediately if you don't want to give it away. Revealing, we felt like God was revealing purpose and vision to people this morning. People felt like they were in need of purpose and vision and God's revealing that. Bone spurs and bone issues. God's healing bone spurs and bone issues. Felt like God was um, giving people freedom to worship. Freedom in worship. So you've been bound by the kind of fear of what other people think and feel like God's giving freedom for worship this morning. Pain in the left eye is one thing we heard. Pain in someone's left eye, specifically blurriness. But if you have anything with your eyes, just stand up. A smoking addiction. Felt like God wanted to deliver some people who were wanting to quit smoking from that. Um, a boating accident injury, both physical and emotional. The, the effects of a boating accident, physical and emotional effects. Scoliosis, ankle pain, ankle issues, just general heaviness, depression, just a sense of I can't keep going forward. Um, and then we felt like this was gonna mean something to someone, Emmanuel. God is with you, that word, Emmanuel. Lastly, allergies, seasonal allergies that have been leading to headaches. I feel like I wanna bring healing there. So I'll, I'm gonna pray, and then everyone that's standing, just raise your hand, please, okay? I'm gonna pray, and then if you're sitting down, your job is to go find someone whose hand is raised, so please keep your hand up, and just to say, what do you want prayer for? That's it, that's the only thing you say. What do you want prayer for? And then you say, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And you pray your best prayer of healing for them, okay? Short, sweet, you got this. Father, I pray you'd release the gift of healing into the room right now. Miracles, God, release faith. I thank you for faith. Some of you feel just like charged up to pray. That's the gift of faith coming on you. Lord, will you bring healing and breakthrough to the people standing who need help right now? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now please keep your hand up. And if you're sitting, go find someone to pray for, please. If you're willing to, no pressure, okay? They just won't get healed unless you go. And this is the conclusion of the service. So have an amazing week. Thanks a lot for coming. Keep your hand up. We will make our way to you. Keep your hand up and someone will be there. They're just, they're just they can't see you. They're making their way. I got a whole row of people here. Rod, can you come pray over here? Alex, can you help over here? We got a whole row, if you can. Awesome, you guys.
And if you want prayer for anything else, just stand up. Someone will come to you.